Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Rokan. And I'm Richard Roper. Big anniversary coming up. We'll tell you about that. But first, the digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing. It drives your overall business success because they believe that today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com today to get started. Alice. Is this cool? Yeah, come on in. Sorry to bother you, but we had to come and tell you how much we really enjoyed the show, didn't we, Garth? <laughs> oh, thanks. We're not mental or anything, so don't be afraid. My name is Wayne, and this is Garth. <laughs> nice to meet you guys. So, do you come to Milwaukee often? Well, I'm a regular visitor here. But Milwaukee has certainly had its share of visitors. The French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. I was not aware of that. Does this guy know how to party or what? Huh? Huh? Among my favorite movies ever about broadcasting. <laughs> Wayne's World, Wayne's World, party time, excellent. 30 years ago this month, bro, we got the release of Wayne's World, uh, the, the the amazing uh, movie that was based on the SNL sketch that was actually based on something Mike Myers had developed even before that uh, and uh, became a huge success. Only the second uh, SNL movie, Blues Brothers was first and then came Wayne's World, then came wow. a, a bunch of forgettable ones. Yeah, well, <laughs> they're just—it's a cottage industry now. And it, it, you stop and you think about how many Saturday Night Live performers became movie stars up until that point. Not that many, right? That first season of cast members—you had Belushi, you had Aykroyd, and you had, of course, Chevy Chase, mm. right? Then Bill Murray became a big movie star after he replaced Chevy Chase, right? But it was kind of fallow then. You had Eddie Murphy. And now every single Saturday Night Live guy gets a movie contract or some kind of Instagram thing or a Kardashian. Well, there and there, we've talked about this before. There are so many Saturday Night Live cast members. Some of my favorites I find out are just featured or whatever they say at the end. They're like not quite in the group, but they're sort of there. And they get a shorter little video clip where it's just them on a bench in Central Park or something. Right. Not as elaborate. But they all get a telephone commercial. Right? I mean, it's, or, it's crazy. Or you'll see them in small roles. You're like, wait a minute, that's somebody from SNL. I mean, it's it's, it's a complete empire. What I found interesting re-watching this movie, Row, and everybody remembers, like, you know, the catchphrases, you know, and the whole conceit that this was two guys in their basement, in the basement of uh, uh, Wayne's house mm -hmm. in Aurora, Illinois, doing a cable access show. But they really did a good job of turning it into a movie. Penelope Spheris, the director, I think, needs to get a lot of credit. And Myers worked on the script with a couple of other folks. Because when you watch the movie, they still have to just have some standalone bits to stretch it out to, like, you know... 100 minutes but they've got a whole story going on about how wayne and garth get co-opted by rob lowe's evil chicago executive who you know uh, co-ops their show and now right. it's brought to you by the video game guy who's played by the great brian doyle murray and sponsorship and then you got uh cassandra tia carrera who oh, I did not remember. Yes. They gave her like three concert numbers in this movie, <laughs> like a full rendition of Ballroom Blitz. And I'm like, wow, there's some padding right there, you know. 
best part of this movie for me is that 30 years ago, I, like everybody else on the planet Earth who saw that film, thought, oh, oh, that's cute. Somebody getting famous in their own basement. <laughs> now that's the only place. That's a great point. People get I mean, famous. They were, this is you know 20 years, 25 years before even... You know, the YouTube sensations of a young Justin Bieber or somebody. But you're right. This really was kind of the first viral show, if you will. It was cable access and then it, be, you know, it got bigger. Uh, watching the thing, re-watching re Wayne's World, Row, you know, I've always been a little obsessed with trying to figure out how old these guys are. Because I think the original conceit was they were teenagers in right. the, the basement, High school guys, right? right? But, you know, I kind of like the fact that they just go with it. Because Mike Myers and Dana Carvey were guys who, what, probably in their 30s at the yeah. time when they're doing the role, and they look like it. They just got the wigs on. But I did find some interesting clues because I'd forgotten that, uh, you know, Wayne does that thing where he, he addresses the camera throughout the movie and has a lot of fun playing with different types of movie uh, tropes and genres. There's a moment where Robert Patrick's character from Terminator 2 shows up, or he'll even comment like, hey, this is a great moment for a gratuitous sex scene. Uh, but he does say near the beginning of the movie, I, you know, I know, I know it's pretty bad. I'm still living in my parents' basement. So he's kind of alluding to the fact that he's not a high school kid anymore. And then they do go to some bars and clubs and there's some moments where they're consuming adult beverages. Yeah. So they're telling us that these guys are not college age anymore. Right. And just sort of in this limbo. Yeah, loser limbo. Yeah. If you will, until things all turn around for them. I also think that they, <laughs> believe it or not, I think that they helped uh, green light eventually uh, a movie about Queen. You know, it was like uh, they, they brought Queen back from being sort of like this 70s into the 80s, uh, you know, big sort of theatrical act. But, you know, obviously after Freddie Mercury died, there wasn't really new material coming out. Right. And I think a movie like this made us remember how great Queen was. You're absolutely right. And Mike Myers fought for that. There, you know, the studio was like more like, let's do some sort of, you know, Guns N' Roses, some some right. band that's huge now. And he's like, but that's not what those guys would be about. They'd be about something a little bit offbeat, a little bit different. That famous headbanging scene in the car. And then, of course, when Bohemian Rhapsody comes out, Mike Myers plays the radio executive, or the record executive, I should say, who listens to Bohemian Rhapsody and says, I just don't picture a bunch of guys in their car jamming to this. Wink, yeah. wink, nod, nod. Yeah. Uh, and for all those of us, you we, you and I have talked about this a lot. Uh, it, you know, this movie set in Aurora, Illinois, uh, filmed almost exclusively and entirely in Los Angeles. They did some exteriors of stuff in Aurora and in Chicago, but like during that whole Bohemian Rhapsody jam, they're like on the north side of Chicago. Then they're on down, you know, downtown Chicago streets. They're never in Aurora, and we don't care because again, I don't think they tried that hard to pretend they were really in Aurora. It's a whole conceit, right? You know, they're breaking the fourth wall throughout the movie, so it's like, all right, fine, you know that that kind of lush greenery wouldn't be in Aurora. There wouldn't be, you know, Cassandra's know. loft, Listen, you know, wouldn't be in Aurora. And this is no disparaging Aurora. It just doesn't look like Aurora. Right. Well, and that's true of any movie set anywhere. It, even in New York, where they should get the continuity right, they rarely ever do. They're going uptown to yeah, go downtown. Yeah, you know, if, unless it's really egregious, I'm like, it's a movie, you know. And and one, I'll leave you with this as well. This is kind of fun as, as researching this stuff. I always found it interesting that Cassandra, the Tia Carrera character, who's an aspiring, you know, she's a bass player lead vocalist in a cover band. Yet she has a loft that is even in Aurora, it's it's ginormous. She does a whole yeah. performance there. 
And it's I found out it's a, it's a loft, you know, in Los Angeles, and the exact same loft was used as Leo DiCaprio's Paris workshop in Inception. This giant piece set set piece in Inception. It's in when you look at them side by side, you're like, that's Cassandra's loft. Schwing. <laughs> the magic of movies, Ro. Was there trouble between Mike Myers and Dana Carvey in this though? Yeah, you know, and the the two of them, especially Dana Carvey, says, listen, you know, Mike is a very talented guy and can be difficult. Uh, Penelope Spheris has also talked about the fact that, you know, he kind of blocked her from directing Wayne's World 2 because he didn't like some choices she made. And Wayne's World 2 bombed. And yeah. she, has, she has even said, she goes, well, I forgive him because he went on to make Austin Powers, which is like a perfect comedy. And I realized what a great talent he was. She didn't say, ah, I was too hard on him. I think, you know, and Mike Myers, we don't see a lot of him you know, in interviews or being accessible. And he's just one of those guys I think he does. You know, listen, he had a great vision. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of concern on David Dana Carvey's part that there was no role there for Garth, that it was all just reacting to Wayne. And he, he I think he rewrote some of the films. So he'd have something to do. He'd have his own little love story with Donna Dixon yeah. playing, you know, the the, 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 the counter worker at, at uh, Stan Makita's donut shop, Donna Dixon, wife of Dan Aykroyd. It all comes back to SNL. Yeah, as all roads do begin and end there. There you go. And speaking of roads, let's talk about driving through Portillo's. It's one of my favorite places to eat on the planet Earth. And that is absolutely true. I'm not making that up. I I, I probably order from or eat drive through a Portillo's drive-thru and eat from Portillo's I probably once a week. Probably, I would say. And you know why? Because they got the best hot dogs. They got the best Italian beef. They got the best Italian sausage. And <laughs> they got great salads. They got great French fries. They got great everything that you want. If it's comfort food or uh, what do they call fast casual now, whatever that is, mm. you you have got to stop by a Portillo's if you haven't done it yet. And if you live outside of the area in which there are Portillo's, you can order the stuff online. And I always tell you, order the chocolate cake because it's the best chocolate cake you're ever going to have in your life. You can think, well, now how is a fast casual restaurant in Chicago going to make the best chocolate cake I ever had in my life? Trust me, it is. There are people all over the planet Earth that actually order that cake for their weddings and they build wedding cakes out of the individual chocolate cakes. I'm not making that up. <laughs> Try it. Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S. That's how you spell it. Portillo's.com. Time for What Not to Watch in the Thursday 3. And once again, uh, in What Not to Watch in the Thursday 3, we have just two to see. <laughs> Sometimes we have four. But let's start off with What Not to Watch and take a listen to a clip from Pam and Tommy Lee. This is the new Hulu series about Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee and the infamous sex tape. Let's take a listen. Please welcome Pamela Anderson. Did you know anything at all about Mr. Lee before you met him? I knew he was the drummer for Motley Crue. Did you find him attractive? I like to smile. I still do. We're so good together, Pamela. To everlasting love. We have recently come into possession of a piece of material. This is so private. It's like we're seeing something we're not supposed to be seeing. 
Nobody's ever getting rich off a celebrity sex tape. What if we sold it someplace nobody could find us? A website. A website? Now, Ro, I kind of like the idea of this period piece. It's set during just yes. like a three-year period in the mid-90s. For folks who don't know, Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee had gotten married. He was the drummer for Motley Crue. She was a huge star because she had been in Playboy, but then Baywatch and even getting movie roles. And there was this sex tape that they had made, a homemade sex tape before that was, again, a common thing Yes, uh, that they shot on their honeymoon. Where there are websites just devoted solely to that. Yes. And the, the, the amazing thing to me is it, it's based on real-life events. And Seth Rogen plays a guy. It was a real-life guy. He was a carpenter working on renovations of their garish mansion. And Tommy Lee kept saying, I want, you know, more kinky stuff in the bedroom and move this over there. And they finally got it odds. And he fires Seth Rogen's character. He fires the guy. He owes him $18,000. He goes, I'm not paying you shit. And then Seth's guy goes back to pick up his tools. And Tommy Lee greets him at the door with a shotgun and says, you're not even getting your tools back. So this clown decides, you're not going to pay me. I'm going to steal the safe that you have in your studio garage. And he steals the giant-ass safe which, of course, has big-ass jewelry and all kinds of other stuff, but also contains this tape. He had no idea, the guy who stole the tape, that it was there. He eventually got in touch with some people that knew how to distribute this thing, mostly through mail order, but then also on that thing called the World Wide Web. Oh. Yeah, so yeah. The, it goes through all of that. And that's pretty interesting stuff, bro. Here's the problem and why I'm saying don't watch P Pam and Tommy Lee. It's eight episodes, and it's what I would imagine it would be like to spend time with Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. At first, you think it's really cool and fascinating. Then you're appalled at their behavior, and finally, you just want to get away from them. <laughs> right? Right, 100%. Uh, I mean, it's like, oh, my God, look, it's Pam and Tommy Lee. Yeah, that's the problem. And I looked at it even back then, and uh, you know, that was uh, not, not, a major topic of conversation on my talk show and then our talk show. You know, you would be a guest on that. Yeah, Back yeah. then, I was you know doing it with different people, but it, it was oh my god! It, to me, it was just amazing that uh, you could do that with a boat horn. That well, was the thing that I a learned. Lot of stuff going on there, yeah. and it does make some good points about how. You know, Pamela's career was she was forever going to be labeled, as she talks about it, as the slut. That a lot of people weren't distinguishing between the fact this was a private uh, tape as opposed to stuff she had willingly posed for Playboy. It was mm -hmm. very different. Uh, but, you know, in the meantime, uh, Tommy Lee's getting high fives from everybody, you know, about this. It was, he was treated very differently. Sebastian Stan, the Winter Soldier, plays Tommy Lee. And Lily James, who is in Downton Abbey, plays Pamela. She delivers, a, I think, a pretty authentic performance as somebody who's not always naive, but did get taken advantage of and really felt the brunt of this. Uh, he's I, really just, over the top as Tommy Lee, which might be the best way to play him, but it's tough to watch. Yeah, okay. Well, and that's, I, and I, I get and understand that part. I want to say that Pamela Anderson was misrepresented ultimately by this. Pamela Anderson is, you know, not a classically trained theoretician, no. uh, but she is certainly, uh, you know, a human being who navigated her way through Hollywood in, you know, pretty dark times of Hollywood, the way they were, the, yeah. the way that the industry was treating women like her. And, uh, you know, you see her in interviews and she's pretty sharp. I mean, she understands what was going on and she understood but couldn't stand up for herself in the way 
that she could now exactly. if that were to come out. And there are so many scenes here, whether it's a deposition or on the set of a TV show or any circumstance where she's in a room filled with older white men and you could see the dismissive way she's being treated. So all of that is interesting. I was on the fence with this when I gave it two and a half stars, but it's just, it just, it's too long. I think it could have made a really good two part limited series. Let's say the same of another high profile project called suspicion. This is an Apple TV plus suspense series starring Uma Thurman. And this is one of those things where uh, the son of a big media conglomerate, head who's going to become the ambassador to the UK and the college age son gets kidnapped and now they're going to figure out who did the kidnapping and it's partly in Great Britain partly in New York it's and it's really slick and it's got all those cool scenes but it's really outlandish and it, it and Uma Thurman is is misused they don't use her enough she plays the the ambassador appointee whose son has been kidnapped and we can tell she works for this powerful communications firm we know there's corruption everywhere mm-hmm. but every this is one of those mystery series row where everybody has to do stupid things in order for the series to continue whether it's the suspects or the people doing the interrogation or the, the real cr- criminal so i you know unfortunately i thought it was going to be great it's based on an israeli series called false flag and it it falls flat so two disappointing premium limited series for you all right I know you've already been asked, but for the sake of the camera, are you sure you don't want legal representation? I don't need it. I can tell you that you've been arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to abduct Leo Newman. No comment. Nope. There's obviously been some sort of misunderstanding. We can't be certain whether this is terrorist-related, politically motivated, or simple extortion. Young guy, Leo Newman, gets packed into a suitcase by a masked gang. NYPD flags four suspects. Catherine Newman, I cannot imagine what you're going through at the moment. I love my son, and I want him back. But let's move on to the Thursday two. <laughs> Wait, it's the three. Why do we do this? All right. Because there's only two things I can recommend. All uh, right. I got one I think you'll enjoy. This is on Netflix, and it's called Murderville. And uh, here, Will Arnett, who is the, you know, the master at playing pompous, gravel voice jerks who don't know how ridiculous they are right as personified in arrested development mm-hmm. right so he plays detective larry seattle and he always says never been he's never been to seattle but that's his last <laughs> name and it's a cop procedural spoof series row so every episode will arnett's larry seattle detective seattle is given a new partner the new partner is a celebrity and the celebrity's playing themselves and it's all improv. They haven't given the script to the guest star. So they have to go along with Will's character, Detective Seattle, and kind of improv their way through figuring out. There's always three suspects. And so this they, is the show in the show. This is the show itself. They say at the very beginning. So they say, like, on this week's episode, Conan O'Brien. And it's Conan as himself. And he, he's introduced. And, and the detective's always like, the last thing I need is a new partner. He never says... <laughs> Why is Conan O'Brien, the comedian, now doing this? He goes, all right, O'Brien. You know, you're, he goes, you ginger monstrosity. How are you going to help me? And then we just go along with it. And there are moments where they break character because the improv is so funny during interior. There's like a moment where, where uh, Detective Seattle and Conan O'Brien are interviewing a magician who keeps performing little magic tricks while they're interrogating him. And their reaction to these tricks is just so great. So it's really stupid and really funny. Uh, It's called Murderville on Netflix. 
and, and now that is all it's all dropping at once yeah as Netflix and, does. And, you know it's kind of hit and miss because conan's the best i mean because he's brilliant at improv and then they bring in uh ken jung kumail nanjiani these are comic pros so they go along with it great they also have marshawn lynch the former running back in one episode wow. playing himself yeah and he's kind of good he's an interesting cat but he's not Conan O'Brien when it comes yeah. to improv, you know. And Sharon Stone, who's kind of a gamer, but she plays it as if she's on a Bob Hope special or a Carol Burnett show. Like you could tell, she kind of wrote some one-liners for herself to kind of crowbar in there. Yeah. So it, it's hit right. and miss. But when it when it's with the best guest stars, it's great. What do we got here? Stab wounds in her upper back. Tough time imagining with just the outline. Can get in the position and slowly be dying too. Uh. You gotta keep track of the evidence. You have a notepad. <laughs> For Terry Seattle, every day means a new murder case and a new celebrity partner. You ready to solve a crime? I'm ready. Scream it! I'm ready to solve a crime! Let's go! Forget how strong I am. The other recommendation is about as different as you could get, Row, in terms of material. This is a feature film. It's called The Fallout. And it's about the aftermath of a school shooting and how the students deal with it. Fictional film. It's not a documentary at all. It's not based on any real life uh, school shootings. The amazing thing to me, Ro, is in the last 25 years, we've had so many school shootings that there's an entire genre of movies about school shootings. There have been yeah. probably 20. Uh, this one is particularly well done. Uh, Jenna Ortega, who was just seen as the main kind of victim in the Scream movies, plays the 16-year-old. We see a lot of this through her eyes. We don't even see the shooting. We see her in the bathroom stall hiding as the shots ring out. And we hear about the aftermath and the various memorial services and the therapy people go through. But it's really mostly about the bond that struck up among three or four students who didn't even know each other until they find themselves huddled together to survive this shooting and how they, you know, how they come together. One of them becomes an activist like we've seen with Parkland and some other shootings. Uh, another one just kind of disappears into her own clinical depression and getting high. Another one finds out a different side of herself. So it's brilliantly done. It's called the fallout, but you have to know it's really rough material wow. you know if, if this is the kind of thing that might trigger some memories or some feelings you know this is not the kind of film you need to see but it's really really superbly done you don't even need to wear makeup sorry what i just said you don't even need to wear makeup I... <laughs> what was that Did you know anyone who died? <laughs> Did you have like the craziest nightmares last night? You have to be able to sleep to have nightmares. I've learned to lose your the fallout. Next week, the Oscar nominations are coming out. A big screen time with Rowan Roper special. Don't miss it. Whatever you do. And maybe by then we'll know who the hosts will be. Could be Wayne and Garth. Could be. That wouldn't be a bad. Hey, listen. From their basement, they're they're quarantined, right? And plus, they'll have the Uber Eats there <laughs> with them, won't That's they? Right. Yeah, I didn't think that that was a good turn. 
Brown Rubber Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. Studios, AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Renee Nelson and Tim Melanius are our executive producers. Dimitri Menezes is our long-suffering producer and production director. See you next time.